I'm talking some more. I'm talking some more <laughs> laughter. That's good. More laughter. That's good. And Rich, you want to talk real quick? Yo, what's up? Uh, looking forward to drinking some Kolsch beer. It's going to be delicious. It's uh, unfortunately not the same as alt beer. Similar stuff going on there, but... Uh, Wait, you said unfortunately it's not the same as alt beer? Yeah, I, I prefer, you prefer alt beer. beer. Wait, what is the word you're saying? Alt? Alt beer. Like alt, 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 alt right. Alt, okay. Alt That's beer. Thought. Alt, alt beer. Mm-hmm. Alt rock. I was at the beer store. I was shopping for a little bit of Kolsch for a talk today. I'm thrilled. And um, Larry, I found you a, a special present. I found you a beer from, what is it, Prairie Artisan Ales oh, in nice. McAllister, Oklahoma. And it is the Spicy Pickle Monster. I'm it seems all about like it's got it. everything you want. I, well, we'll see once I taste spicy it. Spicy Pickle Monster is a sour ale with spicy dill pickles, orange, lemon, and lime. Does en- that sound good? Uh, enough talking. Can I open it? You can open it. it. Uh, pickle beers sound pretty gimmicky, but this is probably going to be one of the finest pickle beers out there because um, Prairie Artisan Ales is a fantastic brewery. So everything they, they brew is absolutely delicious. So far, so good. Let me look, let me look at it. Let's let Larry, we're going to have Larry let, have his let moment to open it. the podcast. Hmm. I can get with that. <laughs> I can get with that. I mean, it's a it's sour good. with a hint of pickle. It's like you're drinking a sour ale while smelling... Pickles. pickles in a room full of pickles you're drinking a sour beer rich i need you to help me brew a pickle beer <laughs> a spicy pickle beer like a, we can we can do that like a jalapeno you, you're you're i can see it in your face you have no interest in doing that <laughs> well, you know i'm thinking that the easy cheap or like a cheating way i guess would be just to dry pickle it if you will <laughs> so make make a sour beer and then throw in a bunch of pickles uh af- afterward and for the best. And I guess we can throw some jalapenos too, so it's like a spicy throw anything you want, dry man. pickle. Yeah, you got me going with, with jalapenos. Well, hey everybody, it's been a while, but we're back. Governor Gavin Newsom of California has allowed us to reopen, so we're finally allowed to record our podcast I'm again. in person, baby. I'm in person. Larry Bates <laughs> is here. We're back. This is season two, baby. We're back from hiatus. We've come a long way. We've got lots in store for you for this new season. We've come a long way. We talk about beer. I'm Maddie Smith. With me, as always, are my bud, Larry Bates. What it do, what it do. And, oh shoot, I didn't, I screwed up already on this season. I didn't come up with a nickname for Rich, a beer-related nickname. But anyway, oh, he's a master perfect. Cicerone. He knows beer better than anybody. Rich Higgins. What's going on, Rich? Hey there, guys. It's, uh, it's good to see you again. It's good to drink some beer with you again, too. It is very exciting. It's very exciting. Wow. Oh, very exciting. We're warming up right now. Yeah. This is the warm up period of the podcast. I got some pickle beer. <laughs> Drinking <laughs> spicy. It's not very spicy. No, though. it's not spicy. It's, that's the only thing I would want to try. Yeah, I was curious different. about the spice, but we don't have any spice. Would a Tabasco float work? Ooh. Float a little Tabasco on the top uh, there? Not bad. I guess it could. I guess it could work. I don't know. It could backfire, though. It could. There's backfire. a lot of flavor. It is. It's, it's, it's actually. It is I, good. I like the beer. It's not bad. It is good. And also, I don't see, it gives me the mouthfeel of having had something spicy almost after the fact. Yeah. Like it's that a is lingering true. That is true. heat in the back of my throat. Spicy pickle monster uh, from Prairie and Nails. Anyway, it's summertime. So we're going to talk about a very refreshing, delicious, uh, crisp, straightforward beer called Kolsch. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, just because it's been a while, I want to have a little refresher. So I threw together some beer trivia uh, for Rich and Larry. 
obviously Rich knows everything we've talked about, so his yeah. uh, questions are going to be a little more I'm ready. A little different. Uh, Larry's questions are all going to be based on things we have discussed hey, on man, this podcast. I, so this is really a test of Larry's listening. Listen, I just got my... I'm a certified Cicerone. Oh, is that so? I'm not. I'm not. I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lying, but we'll see. We'll see. Don't judge me with how I do all these questions. Okay. I've never seen you look so nervous, Larry. Uh, stop it. I'm not nervous. <laughs> like a little bit. Rich is watching. He's a chattering. So I have five questions for each of you, all right? Okay. Whoever gets the most answers correct wins and is better at beer knowledge. We don't win anything in particular? You get a spicy pickle monster beer. Got it, all right. So I have already won. Chug the, chug the beer that you're, whatever honest. beer you're drinking. Yeah. So Larry, first question. Which of the following is likeliest to have the highest IBU? A, an American lager. B, a strong scotch ale. C, a dry stout. Or D, an imperial IPA. An imperial IPA all the way. Rich, is that correct? I, I, I wasn't listening. Oh, um, it was correct. <laughs> <laughs> that was correct, yes? Yeah. Yes, it's totally correct. D, yes, imperial IPA. Imperial, imperial IPA. IPA. IBU is an international bitterness, bitterness unit. unit. Oh, there you go. Well, I was going to ask what that stood for, but I felt like it was more fun, though. Name some styles. Yeah, Imperial IPA. I'm all about it. I'll take notes on this question. So is the dry stout, is C, is that a bitter beer or not? It's partway. I think it... Mid? I think it depends. I think there's a level of bitterness, but because of the dark malt, it's not going to be as um, apparent on your tongue. (laughs) Look at this guy. Look at this guy. (laughs) This is pretty good. Yeah, the thing is, they're they're actually pretty bitter beers uh, when you drink them, but it's a combination of bitterness from two sources. One is from hops, and one is from the dark malts. So yeah, the dark malts have a big role to play there. And if you have one, like at the brewery, you know, or at any brewery that brews one, it should be pretty bitter, like from the tanks, okay? Because in the tanks, it's not nitrogenated. But then when we think of dry stouts, we think of Guinness and Beamish and, and you know, stouts like that that are nitrogenated. And that, that nitro really softens that bitterness, mm. so you can't really nearly as much i like that rich has like a prepared response to my question that he didn't know i was gonna ask i know i know that's good that's perfect i'm at the ready maddie all right rich i got a question for you all right bring it on this real brewery was originally going to be featured in strange brew until backing out and being replaced by the fictional elsinore brewery when they found out that the film featured a plot point about putting a mouse in a beer bottle yeah this has got to be molson i guess Molson is correct. Molson was really oh, yeah. Is that brew. accurate? Stranger, that is accurate. Yep. The Canadian brew. That's an incredibly wonderful movie. That it is movie really fun. It's a fun movie. By everyone on a daily basis. I don't think I've seen it. Strange Brew. Rick Moranis and uh, Dave Thomas. No, I got to yep. check it out. It's very Canadian. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's? No, the other, the, a different one. Oh. <laughs> I was say the other one. But, that, but Dave Thomas is the guy who found yes. Wendy's. Okay. Yeah. But it's a different Dave Thomas. So you're, you guys are tied 1-1. Give it to me. Tight race. Larry, as we all know... Light is the enemy of beer. Yes. That was a lesson we learned last season. Mm-hmm. A light-struck beer will have which of the following off flavors? Okay. It'll be buttery. It'll be skunky. It'll be papery. Or it'll be vinegary. Okay. Look, it's kind of a trick question. Because when you're talking about <laughs> off flavors in beers, there's a bunch of things that contribute to off flavors. But I'd say the answer to this question is skunky. Rich, is that correct? Sorry, what'd you say? I wasn't listening. <laughs> oh, no. All right, forget it. Yes. It's correct. Rich Skokie is correct. You are exactly exactly right. Larry. I like it, Manny, you wrote the questions, but you make me do the do the grading. Well, it's like you know, it's fun. It's fun. It, it creates a dynamic energy to have 
Look, let's get through this. We got to get to Kolsch. All right, next question. Rich, we're all familiar with Homer Simpson's favorite beer, Duff Beer. But when Homer tries out Red Tick Beer, he describes it as bold, refreshing, and something he can't quite put his finger on. What is the secret ingredient in Red Tick Beer? You know, I, I like me some Simpsons, but I do not know about red tick beers. It sounds delicious, I should say. Well, can, we, yeah. Can I guess? Yeah. A red tick? It's close. That's, I mean, <laughs> red tick. When, you cut to the, when we cut to the brewery, we see that the beer needs more dog. Needs more dog. Oh, God. Dog is in red tick beer. Needs more dog. <laughs> Delightful. Anyway, I did have some Duff shoes, some Duff Adidas. All right. Larry's, Duff Larry's Duff taking the lead you, in the beer trivia. You, you got the, you really you got the Duff shoes? Yeah, I did. I sold them already, though. Oh. You have Duff Adidas? Yeah. yeah, they've been coming out with lots of like Simpsons shoes. Yeah. Like Krusty's. And, pretty dope, yeah. yeah. they're nice. All right, Larry, your question. Give it what to me. is Britannomyces? Is it A, a yeast strain? B, a bacteria? C, a chemical compound that gives hops their flavor? Or D, a barley variety used mostly in Belgian ale? Uh, I'm going to say it is a bacteria. It's... it's um. Yeah, it's a bacteria. Yeah, it's, I'm, 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 I'm fairly confident. It's a bacteria. Come on. Rich, you want to tell him? Chalk it up. Larry, it's a yeast. I'm sorry. It's a yeast, it's a yeast. strain. It's a yeast strain. It's not a bacteria. Britannomyces? Yes. <laughs> you're just looking at me so... Yeah, you're incorrect. You're oh, wrong. Okay. The answer was wrong. Well, Britannomyces is a yeast strain. Okay, well, it's been a long pandemic. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're tired now. Oh, here we go. Rich, in 2019's Avengers Endgame, Mm. the god Thor is seen drinking the popular Tropicalia IPA from what Athens, Georgia-based brewery? That's hilarious. I did not know that happened in that movie. That's great. Athens, Georgia, Tropicalia. Uh, Is it Scofflaw? No, I'm sorry. It's from Creature Comforts. Creature Creature Comforts Comforts is the brewery. Do you know Creature Comforts? I do, and that's actually the one I thought I was saying. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, same no, for me. Stopped. When I said bacteria, yeah. I thought I was saying yeast strain. That's right. Yeah, Larry, you, you get it. <laughs> yeah, apparently the crew of the film loved the beer, and so did the mighty Thor. Good little product placement Fun. for them. Yeah. So, so far, uh, oh, Larry is still ahead two I'm to st- one. I'm still ahead. Two to one. All right, Larry. What is the name given to rough etchings made on the inside of beer glasses oh, meant to disturb the beer and create bubbles? And I think Rich is opposed to them. Rich is opposed to them. Yes. yes. Yep. It's not multiple. Well, you, you can't. No, it's not all, multiple choice. All the questions can't be multiple choice, and all of a sudden you give me like fill they in can the do blank. Whatever they want. I guess you can. Make it harder. Um, I don't know. If I heard it, I could probably pinpoint it, but I don't know. The answer was nucleation sites or nucleation points. Okay. And and Rich, they're bullshit, right? Didn't you? Isn't that? Didn't you describe them as bullshit one time? I wouldn't say bullshit. But, uh, they they encourage premature release of carbonation, there and you then you end up with a flat beer. No. Which, no good. That's no good. But it looks good. Yes, I guess. Can't believe you didn't give me multiple choice. Nucleations. Oh boy. Nucleations. <laughs> All right, Rich. What American rock hip hop group specializing in lewd, often comedic lyrics and with hits such as Firewater Burn and The Bad Touch released the 1996 album One Fierce Beer Coaster? Wow, this is. <laughs> I don't know what to say to this. Uh, nor, nor do I know the answer off the bat. Uh, uh, rock hip hop from the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, they rapped a little, they did a little rock. They were lewd, comedic. Yeah, lewd and comedic. I'm maybe thinking Two Laugh Crew, but I'm 
not feeling good about that. No. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of rock, hip-hop. In what year? I'll say this is wrong. In 1996. Um, I mean, the Firewater Burn talked about the roof being on fire. But like what year? Uh, 1996. Uh, the Bad Tit Touch talked about you and me, baby, are nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Do you remember that? Do you remember oh, these? Oh, that rings bell. 96 could have been like, like my heyday, too. You know? no, I don't know. The Bloodhound yeah. Gang. It was the Bloodhound Gang. Uh, yeah. yeah. One person bell. listening. Never like, heard of them. Never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people, I guess, didn't. Larry, next question. Your last question. So you have two right. This is your last question to get a point. All right. But, I'm, actually, still, but I'm still above Rich right now. Yes, you're above Rich. So if you get this, you get this one wrong, if, you, if you get this, you guarantee, you're guaranteed the win, and you officially know more beer knowledge than Rich does. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Augustiner, Hacker Shore, Hofbrauhaus, Lowenbrau, Polliner, and Spotten are the only breweries in the European Union legally allowed to brew what festive beer? Oh, oh, um, oh, oh, um, a, fe- a fest beer. Um, uh, oh, oh, yes, I just, I love it. I'd I love to drink it. Um, hold on, give me a second. Give me a second. Yeah, there's, it's called, it's a fest beer, right? I know it's another name, but that's, that's still part of the beer. I think that's incorrect, right, Rich? Would you say that's correct? It's sort Honestly, of. Honestly, Daddy, I have a bone to pick with this question. There might question. be a problem with the question. Yeah. I'm not sure it's <laughs> phrased correctly here. Oh, so, sorry. Are you waiting for him to say Oktoberfest? Yes, yeah. I know, October, yeah. yes, Oktoberfest. But it's a, yeah. Oktoberfest is a fest beer, though, isn't it? Well, yes and no. I mean, mm. fest beer is sort There's of deviated no. from Oktoberfest, the, the older version of Oktoberfest. So a lot of breweries brew Oktoberfest and fest beer or Oktoberfest or fest beer, and they're kind of separate beers. But regardless, they're only those six breweries that Maddie named are the only breweries that are allowed to pour or sell beer at the – at hmm. the fest, at the actual Oktoberfest in Munich. Oh, yeah. so others are allowed to brew it? Yeah, fest beer is not, not like a, a copyrighted term, oh. and, uh, and Oktoberfest isn't copyrighted either. But, oh, wow. but if I have an Oktoberfest beer, Do you have is it wrong beer? for someone to say he's drinking a fest beer? Uh, yeah, technically. I mean, because they're different things. So Oktoberfest is usually uh, kind of a light amber color and yes. kind of tastes toasty and caramelly. In a big old glass. Right, yeah, they go here nor there. Okay, so the the Oktoberfest <laughs> is a little bit darker in color, a little bit sweeter. Best beer and is golden in color, and um, yeah, yeah. N- neither is very. Okay, okay, so okay. But, but there was a problem with the question, so I didn't really get it wrong. Yeah, we'll just say it was incorrect. Yeah. Um, no, no, you can't say it's incorrect. You wrote your right question there. wrong. I'll do that. Uh, right, and Rich, you get a negative. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not on trial here. Rich, this one's not pop culture based. In 2018, the world's oldest brewery was discovered in a cave in what country? France. That's incorrect. It was in Israel, in a cave in Israel. They found a 13,000-year-old brewing spot. That's an old brewery. That's very old. That is an old brewery. That's an old beer. Well, Rich, that was incorrect. I hear, I hear old caves, I think, France. I know, yeah. You think of those like horses on the walls and stuff? So yeah. did I still win this? Did I still win? I think from a score of two to one, Even Larry that? wins this maybe broken <laughs> trivia challenge. This maybe unsuccessful <laughs> trivia. Rich, Larry, Rich, we're all I, winners in my eyes. We're all winners. Thank you, Larry. It's nice. I, I, I bow down to you. Um, you're a font of your stuff. That's tough. Well, it was something I committed to before. And then when I started writing the questions, I was like, oh, none of these questions are hard enough for Rich. It's impossible to think wow. of hard enough, like actual beer knowledge questions for Rich. Well, you got me pop on culture. The, uh, your pop culture stuff. Yeah, I know. Well, that was a great opener. Welcome to season two. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I'll what? take the win. I'll take the win. First, uh, I guess before we begin, uh, uh, just in terms of what's going on, Juneteenth is now officially a national holiday. Uh, right. It was this past weekend. We talked about this before. But Black is Beautiful is an initiative started by Marcus Baskerville at Weathered Souls Brewing Company in San Antonio, Texas. Um, we just wanted to bring it up. It's this collaborative effort in the beer industry that's kind of been pretty awesome and successful over the past year. Um, essentially, Weathered Souls, they created a, an open source recipe for a stout. And then breweries across the country were then asked to take the recipe, take this branding and labels that were provided by the initiative, and then make a beer with the recipe as its base and donate 100% of the proceeds to a local charity organization that supports equality, inclusion, and social justice reform. It's, it's a super awesome idea. And uh, yeah, a lot of breweries have signed on to it, um, including the one that I brewed at um, last year. I'm no longer brewing there, but uh, Mountains Walking in uh, Bozeman, Montana. A little shout out there. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they are very committed to um, you know, being a part of this, too. Um, and they recently announced they had raised $2.2 million in the first year. Wow. Which yeah, is a lot of money. Yeah, it it's a, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big story last year when, um, when, when this, you know, when the beer first came out, obviously. And, uh, so many of these stories, they make a big splash in the beginning and then you kind of forget about, uh, what, what happens down the road. But, uh, here we are a year later and they've raised a lot of money. So. Yeah. And, uh, numbers wise, 1,221 breweries have participated. Breweries in all 50 states have participated and in 22 countries across the world. They're starting year two now. Um, and they just talked about their, their approach now is it doesn't need to be a stout. Um, they're encouraging breweries to get creative, but basically they're saying they want proceeds. With the proceeds, they're hoping that breweries collaborate with local black businesses. For instance, getting a black artist to create the label, um, working with a black restaurant. Oh, that's pretty great. Um, that sort of stuff is kind of this. And right now you can go to blackisbeautiful.beer to look up participating breweries in your area. Very good odds that someone near you is participating in some way. Um, it's a cool yeah. thing part of it. Also, I've had some of the stouts that have been pretty good. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think... I, I'm, I'm probably going to be yeah. in San Antonio... For Christmas, I'm at the nice swing through there. Stop by Weathered Souls. Yeah, man. Yeah. With that, let's get on to Kolsch. What Kolsch is? Kolsch, like most pale beers, is a relatively new style, and the most basic description of the beer tends to focus on its hybridized brewing style. Uh, some form of an ale yeast, cold conditioned like a lager is usually the basic version that you'll see in some way that I'm sure Rich has some <laughs> thoughts on. <laughs> Got some ideas. Hold on, though. Yeah. So I'm curious. So you say, like most pale beers, it's a rel- relatively new style. Let's give some context for that. What What does that mean? Uh, okay, beers were all very dark until kind of the 1600s, 1700s. Um, okay, it's later than that, even. So okay. yeah, when we say relatively new style, we're really talking about kind of the the early part of the 1800s. Um, that's when pale beers really became commercially viable and, and popular. So. To some people, like, I don't want some people to think, like, you know, hey, this beer's been around since the 1970s. It's a new style. Gotcha. Mm. It's not that new. But, yeah, in the, uh, the scheme of things, knowing that there's a brewery in Israel from, you know, 13,000 yeah. 13, B.C., uh, yeah, pale color beer is definitely kind of a newer uh, part of that spectrum. And uh, for me personally, as someone who gravitates towards less bitter beers, it results in this nice, the, the kind of hybridized brewing process, I think, uh, results in sort of a best-of-both-worlds flavor. Because it kind of has like a fruity, spicy elements that come from ales, and there's a little bit of like a crisp hoppiness from that pilsners and other lagers have. It's a very safe beer, I think. Well, so this kills me here. So yeah. the idea that like you know, lager means one thing, and ale means one thing is is it's pretty loosey goosey. And to a lot of folks that you know that I talk to, and you know, a lot of you know, there's just a lot of like 
poorly written articles in like food magazines and all that that purport to be telling the story about beer and educating you know they got a big voice a big uh, platform but they're not really sharing the details correctly and one thing is that like lager just means that you're not producing a um, a lot of fruit and spice character in the beer from the fermentation okay wrap your head around that what that means is fermentation is a way of creating other flavors in beer and when you lock, you know, when you when you use lager type of yeast or you lager the beer, meaning store it cold, you're typically suppressing the uh, the formation of those fruity and spicy flavors. So it doesn't mean that the beer is going to be dry. It doesn't mean that it's going to be low in sugar. It doesn't mean that it's going to be high or low bitterness. We're really just talking about are there all these weird fruity spicy flavors in there or not? So that's that's kind of the the baseline that that we should probably uh, be yeah, talking sure. about here. Cool. Sorry to be mm. sorry to be style cop here. That's why you're here. To get into the story, like many stories about beer styles, uh, many of the specifics of how exactly Kolsch came to be are either unknown or disputed because they live in that pesky people's history area that tends to ignore the marginalized. Uh, but in trying to paint a picture of the history that led to Kolsch being what it is, it's easy to see that the style is heavily rooted in place, cultural attitude, and as can be expected from most German styles, a very stubborn commitment to quality. So Kolsch is from the German city of Cologne, home of Cologne. Larry, do you wear Cologne? Um, uh, every now and then, but my wife hates it when I spray it. <laughs> so I kind of have to, it's insane to me. <laughs> you, you just drink it instead. What'd you say, what'd you say, Rich? You drink it instead. If she doesn't like you spraying it, you just kind of, yeah, I got to use it to freshen my breath. Like, And also like most of Germany, uh, they've been brewing beer for a long time in Cologne for over a thousand years. So, you know, getting kind of to Rich's point about what relatively new means. Uh, we've touched on the early centuries of beer a few times before, and we're going to skip most of that now. You know, the mon- there's, you know, or in Cologne, they had the, you know, they had monks and monasteries brewing thick, dark slop that nobody seems to think tasted any good. Women for a long time were the only home brewers. Uh, there's also a patron saint named Gambrinus, who doesn't seem like he existed, and people can't really decide what real life person he's supposed to be. <laughs> That's um, the thing with, like, alcohol history, especially, there's so much like bad data there's so much bad, bad information well i will so tell great. you i for this i was reading a book I'll, i won't say the book or the author but it was like <laughs> about kolsch and it like was very certain that jan the first or john well he called him jan primus or whatever yeah and john yeah. the first was gambrinus and then okay. i looked it up and the first source i looked was like People think this, but that's not true. Oh. Gambrinus is this guy. Oh, and I looked wow. at another place and it was like, Gambrinus did not exist. Here's seven people it could have been. And I was nice. like, okay, great. I took a lot of notes on this. <laughs> <laughs> kind of one thing that stuck out to me uh, throughout the throughout kind of all the various versions of the story of Kolsch um, is a very unified nature of the brewers of Cologne. Uh, even before the guilds emerged, um, they seemed very together on brewing a very similar style within within the union. It seemed... Oddly supportive. Is that fair to say, Rich? Like, it just seemed not super competitive within Cologne. I guess you weren't there. Yeah, I wasn't there for, for <laughs> um, But it seems like they were all t- pretty, pretty, pretty together on making the same sort of stuff, at least. And having, like, it's not like they were, like, innovators competing with new, you know, new different ideas for how to do it. That's, um, that's a pretty warm, fuzzy uh, <laughs> revision oh, yes. there. I'm They're all sure. friendly. They're all uh, friends. They're all buddies. And as of the 17th century, they were top fermenters who focused on ale. That was around the time when the sexy young loggers were becoming a thing, wildly popular across Germany as they are today, everywhere today. Uh, and this is where I've seen like a lot of the different takes. Sometimes it's rooted in commitment to good brewing practices. Sometimes it's trusted ingredients. Sometimes it's more of a business decision. But either way, basically at this point, the brewers of Cologne established a set of guidelines for brewing while banning specific things such as any bottom fermenting beer, uh, a.k.a. loggers. 
1603, the town council, council demanded young brewers commit to the following. That you prepare your beer as of old, from good malt, good cereals, and good, ho- and good hops, well boiled, and that you pitch it with top yeast, and by no means with bottom yeast. Yeah, so they say no bottom yeast. Is that, is that your Gambrinus impression there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I, can I ask a question about this? Yes, like, sir. Uh, I mean, maybe we're going to get to this later, but like the terminology, top yeast, bottom yeast, what, where does that, that come from? Yeah, I think we, we'll, I think we'll get, get into it. Oh, we'll yeah, I think Rich is right. dying to get into it. I'm, oh, man. Yeah. This is, oh, so, okay, but um, yeah, just setting up the general idea, though. If they were top fermenters. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> and, want me, you want me to do that? You want me to do that again? So, I think you did great. Yeah. One take. I, I one kinda take, wanna, Larry. I kind of want to do it again. You want to do another yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do it again. I almost said Hope instead of Hobbs. I mean, set me up. Set me up. Okay. In 1603, the town council demanded that young brewers commit to the following. That you prepare your beer. As of old, from good malt, good cereals, and good hops, well boiled, and that you pitch it with top yeast, and by no means with bottom yeast. There it is. It was better. It (laughs) was better. Yeah, and it seems like this time, like a lot of the er, those the seventeen hundreds, sixteen hundreds, eighteen hundreds. Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there were a lot of attempts to like standardize brewing like in a lot of like it was kind of like a constant attempts to like figure out a way to like oh how can we make it good like how can we figure out how to like kind of tame this thing that at the time they didn't have quite the you know technology that we have now and quite the understanding of the whole process yeah i mean there was a lot there was a lot of effort put into making quality products so that the townspeople knew that you know whatever town they were in whether it was cologne or prague or, or you know pilsen or wherever uh, they wanted to make sure that they had good stuff to drink because beer was such an important beverage. They couldn't really trust the the water. And so, you know, the water might have, uh, you know, diseases and stuff in it. And so they, um, you know, they wanted, they needed to be able to drink beer. And so it was incredibly important from that standpoint um, that it tastes good. But beyond that, there's also just the the economic side of it or the, you know, the business practice. Like the, you want to develop ways of increasing your yields and making things more efficient uh, and so a lot of that, a lot of the innovation wasn't always about making beer better. It was just about making it more, more reliably uh, profitable. And then the third kind of big impact on this was taxation. So a lot of different um, styles, re- the regional differences among styles because of the local taxation or taxing authorities. So, you know, the taxation authority in Cologne or in Munich or London or wherever could, could make a certain set of rules about what could be in a beer. And that was not only how they would, sort of measure the beer so that they could tax it, you know, how strong it was or maybe how much malt went into it or something like that. But also um, it could prop up other industries. Like in Munich, they didn't want to allow wheat to go into beer. They only wanted barley in there because they needed to keep wheat for bakers because bakers needed to bake bread and pretzels and things like that. But also it was a way of taxing this stuff differently and supporting the local, uh, the local farmers, the grain farmers. So um, that's a broad approach to all this broad, broad brush, um, what am I trying to say? Broad brush? Broad strokes? <laughs> but, <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly quality did matter. Um, but there were other things that helped to create these regional differences that make these beers different in one place. Uh, gotcha. You know, would you see, is there, then would you see that there's any, like, what would the business protection side be? Other than, uh, is it just that they were familiar with top fermented and that's like all the brewers that were already there were already, that's what they knew how to do that they thought they had to protect it that way? Or is there like, like you said, like with the barley thing, you want... To this supply to be yeah no i think it's 
Probably, I mean, most likely is brewers knew how to brew with the yeast that they had. And most yeasts available in that part of Germany at the time, or really around the world, other than breweries closer to the Alps, most yeasts that were being used were ale yeasts. Coincidentally or not, they were often the same yeast that were being used by bakers. And a lot of breweries and bakeries were the same company. So you just use the yeast that you have on hand. And all of a sudden, if there's this new sort of interloper yeast that's being you know, used at other breweries in other parts of the, of the country or other states or provinces or whatever, you know, you might say, why would, why would we let that stuff in? Because it's going to change the flavor of our beer, perhaps in ways we don't want. Um, it requires new, you know, R&D, basically, new innovation and experimentation on our part to brew with this stuff. And it doesn't make good bread. So why would we allow this stuff in? You know, and also there was there was just sort of, uh, you know, discrimination too. like it was like so Cologne is in uh, the modern state of Germany called North, North Rhine Westphalia. But like the Westphalian culture, this Rhinish Westphalian culture, uh, it could be pretty different from from Bavarian culture. And even in Bavaria, there are a lot of different kind of sub-states and subcultures within Bavaria. And so Munich is its own thing. And so Cologne might have just said, screw it. We don't trust Munich beer. We don't trust Munich, Munich yeast. You know, this is 400 years ago. This sort of stuff still happens today. But, you know, way back when, things were incredibly provincial and, uh, you know, poorly, poorly, you know, not a lot of justice, I guess. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, Perfect. those are some of my ideas, I think. That's great. That's just the heavy lifting I rely on you to do, Rich, <laughs> when I do my research. I'm like, Rich will explain this better. Throughout the years, they had various forms of legislation in Cologne that they even introduced to restrict bottom-fermented beers. Um, but the problem is also they, that was a very popular style and people liked those. Not necessarily a problem, let's say. Uh, but so, but around the mid 1700s sort of solution developed, they found that they could brew those beers with the top fermenting ale yeast that they always used. They could keep Papa's ale yeast farm alive, um, but then age the beer in a cold cellar like a lager. So it, and Rich, again, Rich is going to get into what that exactly. Yeah. This one, Maddie, I don't know. No, you don't know what this one yeah. So first of all, all right. So the, the years, when you say the mid 1700s, a solution developed, um, I think that seems pretty early to me. I'd say it's about a hundred years too early. Really? Um, oh, wow. Wow. The, the stuff that I've read is more that like Kolsch was a local favorite in Cologne that had to sort of deal with the, excuse me, I'm burping because I'm drinking fizzy Kolsch right now. Uh, so they had to do what every brewery outside of Pilsen had to deal with. So Pilsen, the first Pilsners brewed in 1842, it becomes incredibly popular. And because it wasn't like copyrighted or anything like that, anyone could call a beer Pilsner. And so it started to spread outward from Pilsen and Cologne is not that far from Pilsen. Uh, Munich certainly adopted the Pilsner as well. And they started brewing tons of them. Other Other spots in Germany started brewing lots of Pilsner. Uh, and so, you know, by the time Cologne was faced with this stuff in the, you know, mid to late 1800s, they had to decide what they were, their response was going to be. So there's that. But also, Maddie, when you say like, you know, a solution developed where this sounds almost diplomatic, where the Kolsch brewers said, all right, we're going to keep using our top fermenting yeast, but, uh, you know, age the beer in a cold cellar uh, to, you know, make it taste like sexy lagers. <laughs> I like that turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds very like, like, ooh, there's something good about sexy lagers. There's something good about okay. what we do. with A little too, beer. like, intentional. Too a little too, okay. Um, yeah, it's, I think that's just a little too convenient to put okay. it that way. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew which source it was. But yeah, I, I think it was one place I saw it said, like, by six, 1760, some places had started to cold cellar. 
yeah. the beers, but was kind of well, unclear that, as that when that's possible. But the yeah, they weren't developed. feeling any threat from from Pilsner, certainly. Okay, so you know, Pilsner didn't exist as a beer yet. So gotcha. But um, yeah, there's there's a there's a good book to be written. I don't think it's been written yet. If it has, I apologize to whoever uh, got out there and wrote it. Um, like I said, the book one book I found was it had lies. It was filled <laughs> with lies that riches only well, buy more lies. I could be full of shit too. Oh no, it was the it was the one that said it was one that said Jan Primus was Gamberness and stuff like that. Well anyway, so like the book that I'm saying that should be written is how the world how the world's brewing cultures responded to Pilsner. Some adopted it like you know, like crazy to just, you know, cash in on the the cash cow of Pilsner, but a lot of other places really struggled to keep their own identity um, and not just kowtow to you know the, the popular fads and you see you see this happening now with a lot of craft breweries in the u.s there are a lot i talk to brewers all the time who are they're just saying yeah i'm so sick of brewing seltzers uh you know this is what sells but i don't care anything about seltzers because it's just not craft beer seltzer is fine it's a different beverage though but a lot of breweries do what they can do to make money and seltzer makes money now so yeah, i don't know i think it's a, a fascinating sort of study to re- to think about like who reacted to Pilsner and other market dominating forces in what ways? Are you working on that book? <laughs> this is the soft pitch. Putting together the proposal so right now. Sounds like it to be <laughs> the official name Kolsch wasn't was first used in 1918 for a brew made by the Sooner Brewery. Zuner. 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 Zuner Brewery for a beer that was first uh, made, I believe, in 1906. And it wasn't a particularly common style even then. It seems like it wasn't like wildly popular or anything like that you mean outside of cologne outside of cologne sorry yeah, yeah. and uh then there were two world wars as we all know i guess world war one had just kind of been wrapping up when they used the name kolsch for the first time but basically world war ii especially really screwed over kolsch breweries um going into world war ii there were 40 40 breweries in cologne by the end there were only two remaining after the war cologne brewers worked to reestablish themselves and it never really like competed with the big guys mm-hmm. it still kind of grew in popularity um and by 1980s the style had staked out a large enough portion of the beer market culminated in the kolsch convention of 1986 and at the hey, Col- can I pause you for one yeah. sec so when you talk about you know the world wars not being kind to, to cologne's brewers it's, they were not it's kind funny. to anybody yeah well yeah they sure weren't kind to anybody and the narrative you know that you hear in the u.s all the time is just like oh yeah you know the Germans uh, were behind the wars, and they—they're the ones that burned down all the uh, all the Belgian breweries and and melted their their um, you know mash tons and their kettles to you know to down. They mel- melted down the copper so that they could make munitions out of it. That's definitely true. That happened. Oh um, wow! But, but it's the Americans and the you know the American Air Force and the, or the Army Air Corps or whatever and the the RAF of of Britain who like completely destroyed Cologne. Mm. So there, you know, this is definitely a, a two-way war. I'm not here to defend either side, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just funny to hear. You, you think about it, like Cologne had probably a very good brewing culture. Munich certainly had a very good brewing culture. These cities got their asses kicked by bombing campaigns from the Allies. Um, so there's a lot of beer culture that was lost on uh, certainly on both sides of that war. God, I feel even terrible saying both sides. That's like a back off this. I'm solely a <laughs> And actually, if you go so if you go to Cologne or Munich these days, uh, which I've done a bunch of times, 
they're not architecturally fascinating cities. Like you think of like old European cities having all this cool architecture, but these cities were just flattened in the war and they wow. were all rebuilt in the 1950s and 60s. So, so much of it looks just like mid 20th century cold war style, like boxes, you know, all the buildings are basically just these ugly boxes. Um, Cologne still has still standing is this is like the world's largest or second lar largest uh, cathedral. And it is an incredible structure. So it is awesome but the rest of the city just looks like it's like a really dense mm. 1950s suburb sort of it's bizarre but they've got good beer yeah. <laughs> it was at that Kolsch convention in 1986 uh where the brewers of clone set some strict standards they finally officially you know wrote it down uh standards for look and taste such as the beer needed to be pale hop accented top fermented and filtered um, and of course they they also agreed that a true Kolsch needs to be made within the city of cologne so in the and also in the 90s, uh, the European Union declared Kolsch a beer with a protected geographical indication, a PGI, uh, making it the exclusive source for, you know, what is like kind of, quote, real Kolsch in the European Union, similar to how a champagne, a real champagne comes from champagne, a Bordeaux comes from Bordeaux, how those things are designated. Of course, that won't stop. I'm, I'm saying American brewers, but I'm sure they're outside the EU, maybe there's others that aren't American, but many American brewers are unafraid of calling their beers Kolsch's, although also some use the term Kolsch-style American ale, just sort of out of respect to show that it's like that style of beer, but not officially a Kolsch Kolsch. And that's Kolsch. That's kind of the story of Kolsch. Where did you read that it, the Kolsch convention says that uh, the beer should be hop-accented, in your words? I wish I wrote down the citations of the sources. Um, I don't know exactly where it was. I think that might have been... Oxford, but maybe I'm wrong. No bibliography. I know. I need to write up a bibliography. <laughs> Maddie, yeah. Your, your bibliography is shit. Um, I... Kolschguy.biz is the website that I used. <laughs> the way I've read it in the past mm. um, is that the beers should be strongly hopped, which oh, okay. has always bothered me because these beers are not strongly hopped. That's just not what they are about. But it's in the convention that they should be strongly hopped. So, oh. um, so this was like editorializing that kind of made it more accurate. Well, or yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You did make it a little more accurate. <laughs> they're still not hop accented. I mean, they're just like yeah. incredibly balanced. Beers. Yeah, it never like, seemed hoppy to me. But I yeah, they're not. They're not. But it just bothers me that like Germany is you know the stereotype is that they are so like correct and prim and proper. Well, maybe not prim and proper, but they you know they write everything down, everything scientifically measured and all that, and that they wouldn't go back on something that's like this big official document saying these things should be strongly hopped, but they're just not strongly hopped patently. They Kolsch beer is not strongly hopped and it's delicious, but it's not, don't go to it for hops. I think it's fair to say that like that, the brewing process is the thing that always stands out when people are describing, okay, what is a Kolsch? The unique brewing process, the hybrid brewing process, top fermented, bottom fermented, hot, cold, warm, all that stuff. Rich, what makes a Kolsch a Kolsch? So yeah, Kolsch has to be pale in color. Um, it is typically about 5% alcohol, you know, usually like 4.8 to 5.1 or something like that. Um, because it's pale in color, that means you're not going to get aromas of, you know, toast and, and uh, uh, caramel and roast and chocolate and things like that. So you should be looking for things that are sort of bready, bread crust, crackery, things like that. Um, so that's the malt flavor there. Because it's well attenuated, meaning it's kind of dry, it doesn't have a lot of sweetness to it, it should, you should be able to um, taste that malt and it's not going to taste real sweet. And then beyond that, it should be balanced with hop bitterness. And if you have taste for those hops, you know, you might taste a little bit of, um, grass or herbs or, um, black pepper or something like that, but 
you know, kind of good luck uh, tasting those hops unless you're having this beer super fresh from whatever brewery you're at, you know, whether it's from Cologne in Germany or if you're drinking it, for, you know, at a craft brewery in the U.S. or something like that. Um, the only way you're going to taste those hops is if it's super fresh. So that's kind of the the overview of what you should taste in this beer. Um, I've got a lot I want to talk about and I'm realizing this could get long. So uh, do you have any questions now before you buckle your seatbelts and I started talking too much? I'm buckled. I'm buckled in. Let's buckle. Let's do it, Rich. Let's go. You got the green light. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. So top fermented versus bottom fermented. Um, this is... We've, I will say we've talked about these a little bit before in the past. We've talked about yeah, like we'll... ale yeast and lager yeast. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know we have. Um, this is this is the sort of beer that's it's like important to talk about yeah. this and just clarify it. So top fermenting and bottom fermenting is not a thing. Okay. Yeast doesn't act like that. Yeast ferments wherever the hell it wants to in a, a vat of wort. It evens, it evens itself out within the vat of wort. Wort, again, being unfermented beer, so it's full of sugar. Uh, and then the yeast swims around sort of and consumes all the sugar and ferments it into alcohol and carbon dioxide and sometimes uh, other flavors. So that's fermentation. And it ferments top, bottom, middle, left, right, wherever, wherever it wants to go. It spreads out evenly throughout that batch of wort. Uh, the activity or the, the action, so imagine being a brewer 500 years ago, what is your vessel that you're using to ferment stuff in? Is it made of stainless steel? Is it made of uh, space age polymers or is it made of wood? Pop quiz. Wood. I would guess wood. That is a really good guess. And you're correct. So yeah, we're talking about just. <laughs> thank God. Big, uh, yeah. Thank, thank you. One, one, one more point. One more point for Larry. Bacteria. Bacteria. So, uh, yeah, so these vessels were open because, you know, having a closed wooden vessel was kind of hard to clean and hard to access. And you're, you know, a lot of the time you're brewing pretty large amounts of beer. And so you have big, large open vats uh, made of wood. And if you wanted to uh, brew another batch of beer, you often wanted to collect the yeast that was in that in the previous batch of beer. OK, so that's the, the economic way of reusing your yeast and that sludge that's in there. And brewers didn't know what the sludge was, but we now know it's yeast uh, is is excellent at fermenting that next batch of beer. So if you're a brewer staring into your fermenting beer that's in a wooden vat, you're looking at it from the top. OK, you can't see through the wood on the side. So you're looking at it from the top. And if your fermentation is good and um you know, most most old school types of yeast are ale yeast. That's the, the species of yeast um, that uh, that yeast is kind of sticky. So it sticks to itself. It, it gums up a little bit. And during fermentation, a lot of CO2 is produced and that CO2 bubbles up to the top and that drags the sticky yeast up to the top where it sort of creates a raft of yeast on the top of the of the um, fermenting beer. There's also a lot of that exact same yeast that maybe didn't get dragged up to the top. It didn't glom on to other yeast cells well enough. So it collected the bottom as well. Mm-hmm. So 500 years ago, if you're going to harvest that yeast and reuse it in a beer, you're going to skim it off the top because you can't see in your tank. You can't see the bottom of the tank because it's this wooden vessel. And so you just skim it off the top and that's your next batch of yeast. So that was the only type of yeast that most brewers knew about. Then for a whole different episode, we, I think we talked about history of lagers a little bit, but, you know, the development of lager yeast sort of happened about 500 years ago, um, and it became commercially popular in places like Munich um, and Prague and Pilsen. Uh, that sort of yeast ended up, um, it doesn't stick, it's not so sticky. And so during fermentation, when that CO2 is produced, the bubbles of CO2 float up to the top of the beer, but they don't drag the yeast with it. 
and that yeast just settles down eventually through gravitation, just settles down to the bottom of the tank. And if you are a brewer that's using that yeast, this is called lager yeast. So if you're using lager yeast, you have to transfer the beer off of that yeast in order to reuse that yeast. Mm. So you end up dumping the vat of beer into barrels and, and, you know, selling that beer and then you can reuse that yeast. So that just became called bottom fermenting yeast, even though that's not where the fermentation occurred. So just through gravity, it it settles at the bottom. And if you want to reuse that yeast, the way brewers do, you have to get it from the bottom of the tank. Ale yeast, if you talk to any, you know, craft brewer nowadays, um, you know, most brewers have these tanks that only have a port at the bottom of the tank for collecting yeast. So whether they're doing ale yeast or lager yeast, they still collect it from the bottom. So ale yeast will eventually settle down to the bottom of the tank. But again, 500 years ago, if you're not sure if your beer is even fermenting and you want to take a look in your, in your vat of beer and you see all this uh, stuff floating up to the top, that's what you consider top fermenting yeast. Gotcha. So those are the two, the, the names or the reasons those, those yeasts are named that way. Okay. And then, so, I mean, you might have this lined up, but then in like the Kolsch, the big part is after the, you're doing that, you're using that ale yeast, and then, mm. then you cellar it at a cold temperature. Mm. Why is like a lager, why is a lager traditionally a cold temperature? Yeah. Cellar? So good question. So uh, if that yeast, so, so the opposite of sticky yeast, that the ale yeast is particularly sticky, is called powdery yeast. So lager yeast is typically very powdery. And if you think about like a snow globe, shaking up a snow globe, it takes, I don't know, a minute, say, for the, the snow or the glitter or whatever's in there to, to settle to the bottom. When I was a little kid, I had a snow globe that had all these white chunks of white, probably plastic or something in there, and it would take them 30 seconds to settle to the bottom. That glitter, uh, if you've seen a glitter globe, that, you know, that glitter is really fine, and it might take two minutes for it to settle down to the bottom. So that's the same sort of idea with powdery yeast, like lager yeast. It takes a while to settle out. And so, um, sorry, I should, I should say to settle out completely. So after a week or two, you probably have enough yeast on the bottom of that tank to harvest and re-pitch into a new beer so you can ferment that second beer. But the first beer that you've taken most of the yeast out of still has a lot of yeast in there. And because it's taking forever to settle out, it just takes time. you got to wait. Mm-hmm. And so that's why lagering typically is slow. And if you do it at warm temperatures, that, long, that lengthy amount of time, especially 500 years ago, 300 years ago, 200 years ago, um, that lengthy amount of time at warm temperatures would stale the beer or the beer would go sour because there's bacteria in there. Larry, I said bacteria. You did. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's going to end up ruining your beer. So if you need to, if you want to serve clear beer and you are using lager yeast, you have to rely on time for the stuff to settle out. Nowadays, you know, there's, there's modern technology to, to filter beer, but 500 years ago, you had to sit on this stuff for a while and you better sit on it cold if you don't want it going, you know, going sour. So that is the lagering period. In the process, it does affect the flavor by refining some of the, the, the coarser flavors that might be in there. Some of the flavors that are created by both ale yeast or lager yeast during fermentation don't taste good. And if you let it sit for a few weeks, that yeast will consume some of the, some of the off flavors it produced and clean it up a little bit. Um, there, again, there are, there are persistent flavors that yeast will produce that will stay in the beer regardless of how long you lager it, but you really want to get rid of those kind of reactive flavors that, um, that are kind of rough. They might smell like green apple or taste like butter or taste um, sort of uh, uh, like whiny or, or like hot alcohols, things like that. Um, this stuff will sort of get cleaned up by yeast with time. And so that's that longer lagering period that cleans up and refines the beer. The more it sits around, the more the original yeast can 
clean it up and you just hope that you don't have new yeast, new wild yeast or unintentional yeast or bacteria getting in there during that longer uh, lagering period. So then to take it to Kolsch, mm-hmm. why is it having those different flavors then when you do it in that cold lagering process? Yeah, so Kolsch yeast is an ale yeast. There are a lot of different types of ale yeast and ale yeast and lock, sorry, well, to be to be totally clear, ale yeast and lager yeast, lager yeast both produce flavors during fermentation. Uh, the warmer your fermentation is, the more either type of those yeasts will produce these kind of fruity, spicy, maybe even earthy flavors. And the warmer that fermentation is, the more of these flavors are produced and uh, the harder they are to remove, frankly. Um, and so if you want to, and that's not a bad thing, like a lot of Belgian beers, it's all about fermentation flavors. And so they ferment them pretty hot. They want a lot of fruit and spice in there from the fermentation. But when you're cologne and you've got everyone uh, around you brewing and selling Pilsner and you're trying to figure out how to compete with this with this new beer, but not just brew Pilsner. They wanted to keep brewing some sort of uh, Kolsch beer. Um, I guess I should say, by the way, Cologne is the English word for the town. Köln is what they call it in Germany, K-O-L-N. So Kolsch is like an adjective form of Köln. So that's why we call it Kolsch beer from Cologne, but it's actually from Köln. So um, anyway, so in Cologne, they're like, well, crap, you know, what are we going to do? Maybe the market has some of this right. Maybe if they, what they like about Pilsners is that they're sort of cleaner and I'm putting air quotes there and that cleaner flavor, what we're talking about is literally fewer flavors. So if you're going to add hops and you're going to add malt, your beer is going to taste like malt and hops, but that fermentation flavor is sort of controllable if you reduce the temperature down, you're going to re- reduce the amount of that fermentation flavor. And so that's why um, we talk about this beer being sort of cold fermented ale yeast. So it's ale yeast that likes to ferment anywhere from 60 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. But if you ferment it at 60, it's going to produce fewer fruity and spicy flavors. And that's what the Kolsch brewers decided to start doing. So they kept brewing with their traditional top fermenting. Again, I've got air quotes there, yeah. their traditional ale yeast. Uh, and they do it at a cooler temperature, so it produces fewer fruity flavors. And then they lager it, which is that colder uh, storage period, to further allow the yeast to to clean up any sort of other flavors that might be in there. And you're left with a beer that has a little bit, you know, one foot in the world of fruity, spicy ales, and another foot in the in the world of cleaner, less um, less fruity, less spicy lagers. Now, what what is it? What is it classified as? Is it classified under ales? It's not classified really either place. It doesn't fit well in either one. A lot of people, especially in the United States, will consider it an ale because the, you know, the, the genealogy or the, the taxonomy of the yeast that's used to ferment it is ale yeast. It's Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is ale yeast. Okay? Whether you ferment it hot or cold, that's still ale yeast, and so it's still an ale. However, in Germany, um, they don't consider it an ale. Ales to Germans are imported things like Belgian ales or, or English ales or something like that. Yeah. This beer doesn't taste like those for a lot of different reasons, not just the, um, not just the yeast selection. So even though it does have uh, you know, a, a type of ale yeast that ferments it, they consider it a lager because it is lagered. You know, it's fermented a little bit cooler to reduce the amount of that, that fruity, spicy component of the yeast. And then they, they store it cold for a few weeks. So they really consider this a high fermented or top fermented uh, lager, which doesn't really make sense, you know, to a lot of Americans. Well, so well, it's a hybrid beer. I have another question. Is there like the opposite version of this done well? You know what I mean? Where it's like a lager mm-hmm. that is brewed like an ale? 
Larry, are you setting me up for this? I adore this question. No, I don't. I'm really just asking. It's just listening to it. I think I know. I think I know. Maddie, what you got? A California Common. That's right. What does that mean? Anchor seam. It's a. Isn't that what Anchor does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's essentially they use a lager yeast, and then they. I don't know. I I honestly, this I don't actually know. All I know is it's the other way around. Is basically the other way. (laughs) You're wishing I hadn't asked more questions. Yeah. (laughs) Stop at the one right answer. Uh, You're right though. Yeah, Anchor Steam. I think was the first beer I drank in in the first episode of this podcast. I I just love that beer. Yeah. Uh, I lived in San Francisco for a long time. It's just it's a special beer to me. Uh, It is a beer that is fermented with lager yeast at warmer temperatures. The reasons for that are not, you know, they're not like, uh, like, I think the reasons for for Kolsch being the way it is, is brewers had pride in their ale yeast, didn't want to give it up. And, but they, they bent a little bit toward, you know, what am I trying to say? They gave in a little bit to to fashion by fermenting it cooler. They've ended up creating a beer style that I love also, but they did sort of sacrifice in their minds, I think at first. Whereas um, the sacrifice that happened with California Common, or which, you know, 200 years ago or 170 years ago, it was called steam beer. Um, that wasn't a sacrifice for fashion. It was a sacrifice for, for technology and, and the access to, to good equipment. So German immigrants or European immigrants um, from the continent would come over to the States and went over to California during the gold rush in the middle of uh, the 1800s. So in 18, you know, 1848, 1849, they, they head out there. They want some beer. They're thirsty uh, and they bring their favorite yeast with them that they know how to use. And that happened to be lager yeast in that, you know, in the story of steam beer, at least it was lager yeast that they wanted to use, but because California doesn't get that cold, well, at least San Francisco doesn't get that cold. um, They, and they didn't have infrastructure for artificial refrigeration or it took, you know, 10 years before they were uh, importing ice that they had uh, carved out of um, snow banks and ice, ice lakes in uh, the Sierra Nevada. Um, You know, they didn't have access to this stuff in San Francisco. So they were fermenting it at, standard San Francisco temperatures, which is like 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So sort of like what they're doing in Cologne, fermenting with ale yeast at 60 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a little cool for ale yeast. 60 is pretty warm for lager yeast. And again, lager yeast is happy to ferment at that temperature, but it produces more of these weird flavors. Well, flavors that we consider weird in a lager. Um, Lager yeast, unlike ale yeast, is very happy to ferment at 40 degrees or 45 degrees Fahrenheit, which is too cold for most ale yeasts. And so you can't get an ale yeast to, to work at that temperature. But lager yeast does, and at that temperature, it doesn't produce, it hardly produces any persistent flavors that are going to end up, you know, being part of the beer flavor down the road. But the but the the flavors that a lager yeast will create when it's um, fermenting at like an ale's temperature, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- I'm just wondering why it's not done more. They're, they're generally not like the fruity, spicy... Mm-hmm. Um, notes that you're saying comes from an ale yeast or? Well, it depends on the, the strain. You know, there are a few different types of, or a few different strains of lager yeast also. The strain that is now, you know, I don't know what the history is for how this strain developed, but, you know, say you have a whole bunch of European minded brewers in San Francisco in 1849 and they're brewing with a variety of different yeasts. Maybe they're, they're lager yeast from Munich and they're, you know, this, this guy's lager yeast from Prague or this, this, uh, you know, strain that comes from, you know, where, wherever a Stuttgart or something like that, you know, those strains ended up sort of maybe mixing a little bit in San Francisco and creating sort of the super strain that works well at warm temperatures, okay. meaning that it doesn't create a lot of offensive flavors at warm temperature. 
So I think if you just use any lager yeast at warm temperature, it's for sure going to produce a lot of sulfur. It's going to smell like rotten eggs. Yeah, that's that's my question. So it's gonna it's gonna produce offensive flavors, not not yeah. anything that's fruity. Those spicy. will go. Those will go away if you give it time to clean itself up. So if you give it time to lager at cold temperatures for for four or five six weeks, it'll do that. But the question I think is why would you why would you do that? Like if you want a little bit of fruit and spice in your beer from a, a warmer temperature fermentation, why would you use that with a yeast that takes forever to clean up the bad flavors? Got it, got it, got it, got it. You know, got so it. with steam beer, they sort of had to by accident because they didn't have access to, to the right temperature for, for keeping things cool. Uh, and they created these flavors. And eventually with time, they ended up with this new sort of steam beer yeast or this California style lager yeast that produces, in my opinion, and this is kind of hard to, to pin down, but I think that these, these flavors are sort of berry-like or grapey. So grape is, we think of it as a, I don't know, a lot of people think of it as a, a random fruit, but it is a berry. It's in the berry family. So you get this sort of purple berry aroma in something like Anger Steam that I love. Um, but, you know, again, other lager yeasts fermented warm might not produce much of that, might produce other stuff that's just not enjoyable. But that grapey flavor is is nice, but you still have to sit on that beer for four weeks afterwards. Whereas with an ale, you know, and you get a little bit of fruit or spice in your beer, um, you only have to sit on it for two weeks before you sell it. So you make a lot more money more quickly as a brewery pushing ales through the system rather than lagers. Got it. Then to kind of move away from the brewing process, unless Rich, do you have anything else? I have about the so brewing? much more to say, but I'll shut up. <laughs> That's a pretty clear, I think, description of everything. Um, but I was going to ask real quick, do you have the same feeling as, I guess, the European Union or the people of Cologne in terms of a Kolsch is only a true Kolsch if it's from Cologne? Yeah, no, it just, it depends on my mood. It depends on my mood. You know, I'm, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to, um, to continental beer styles. Um, a lot of them have been around for a long time and I think they taste delicious and I like that they are different from each other. Like when I want a Hellas, I want a Hellas. When I want a Dunkel, I want a Dunkel. When I want a Pils or a Fest beer or an Oktoberfest or, you know, a Czech dark versus a Czech amber, like I want that. So give me that. Kolsch though, uh, is a style that can be replicated anywhere else in the world. You know, people can brew a good Kolsch if they, if they try and they know how to do it. Uh, and that style sort of left the barn, I think, before, uh, like, Americans, most Americans learn about Kolsch in America. They don't learn about it in Germany. When you think of Pilsner, you think of it being German or Czech. Uh, but, you know, there are Pilsners brewed all over the world. I don't know. I'm being wishy-washy on this. For some reason, I'm I'm okay with Kolsch being used, uh, mm. you know, as a no, term <laughs> outside of Cologne. But cool. yeah, in general, like, you know, well, so so this actually gets to the root of it. I like it when it's fresh, when it's really good. And um, I'm drinking a fruit right now, which is from Cologne. I'm in Montana. I'm drinking out of a can. Uh, fruit. Um, I'm assuming they pasteurized it. They certainly filtered it. So they've done stuff to it to make it road ready. You know, to make it shelf stable and get to me in Montana and still have it be a pretty good beer. And I'm, I'm happy with that. But having been to the Fru brewery and pub in Cologne, you know, I've been there probably 10 times. The experience is fantastic. And the beer is totally different. It's alive. It hasn't been filtered. It's served out of a wooden keg just, uh, you know, via gravity. And it's not, that's uh, great. Uh, oh, it's, like, <laughs> it's so damn good. Okay. But you know, you go 20 feet away, you know, Cologne, the old town of Cologne has, probably 10 different Kolsch breweries in town walking distance from each other. So the farthest one away is like a 20 minute walk from the others, but most of them are like a two or three minute walk from each other. It's amazing. 
And, uh, and they all taste a little bit different, but they're all unfiltered and they're all, well, I shouldn't say necessarily unfiltered, but they're not, they're not filtered with, to within an inch of their lives. They're not shelf stable. They're not pasteurized. Mm. Um, and I was there. So I run, so Maddie, thanks for coming on that, the Brussels beer immersion. I run great. a, a Cologne and Dusseldorf. Rich Hagen's uh, beer. Oh, shoot. I don't know the website. <laughs> oh, I well, gonna, yeah. I was going to plug you. Yeah, no, we don't need to plug it. Well, Google. yeah, whatever. Rich Higgins, uh, beer immersions. That's, that's immersions. All you need. <laughs> but hey, I run sorry, an immersion. Go on. <laughs> I run an immersion to Cologne and Dusseldorf. And, um, I was there with a, one of my clients was a, a brewer in Wales and he brews, uh, uh, German style beers, mostly German style beers in, uh, in Wales. And he wanted to come on this trip to learn about, uh, Kolsch and alt beer and, you know, Kolsch from Cologne and then Dusseldorf 20, 20 or 30 miles away brews alt beer. So he wanted to learn these beers and he did something really cool. Like he said, Hey, Rich, can we buy a bunch of cans of Kolsch from a, you know, from a, a bottle shop basically you know uh, uh, what am i trying to say I, I have a german words in my head from an imbus or from a good marked uh but basically you know go to a bottle shop and get cans of these go to the german bevmo is what he wanted to do <laughs> yeah the german bevmo thank you um so we've been drinking these beers straight from you know these wooden kegs at the at the pubs all day and they tasted amazing and then he wanted to taste how they tasted in the can so i got a can of fruit i got a can of goffel and a can of reisdorf and we drank them out in a uh, in a uh, park there and he, we like, we, we opened him up, we took sips of him, like thoughtfully stroked our, our fake goatee, our missing, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, put on our brewer hats because I'm a brewer and he's a brewer. And he said, you know what, Rich, I think the difference between the three of these is less than the difference between any one of them and their fresh component, their fresh, fresh person at the pub. So the pubs in Cologne, they do these beers have a lot of personality and they all taste different and people swear by different ones. They're very, very loyal to different ones. But then when you drink it out of a can or a bottle and it's been, you know, readied for the for for you know a long journey and sitting on a hot store shelf somewhere, these beers have just lost a lot of their soul. So this is a long story about, you know, I like Kolsch, but I really like Kolsch in locally. Do you would you say that it travels worse than it doesn't have anything in it that's helping keep it uh, you know, from, from changing okay. too much, it doesn't have a lot of alcohol and it doesn't have a lot of hops. Those two things are good for oh, keeping preserve. beer clean. Gotcha. You know, if a beer is all about hops and you give it time, it'll, the hops will help keep it clean, but the hop bitterness will, will decrease and hop aroma will decrease. So you're, you're losing the soul of that beer, but you're still, uh, the beer at least will be clean. But yeah, I've had a lot of, not skunky, uh, uh, papery oxidized, Kolsch's um, brewed in Germany, but you know I've I've had them in the U.S. and they just taste old and stale and papery and oxidized. That's not that's not a good thing. It's not a good look for Kolsch, unfortunately. <laughs> Let's talk about pairing real quick. Honestly, I think the when I like really decided I really like Kolsch was when I was at a there's an Italian restaurant called Felix down over in uh, Venice. Um, near yeah, LA. nice. Awesome, awesome Fant- handmade pasta. Fantastic right? pasta. There's actually a documentary on Hulu about the uh, the chef. It's fantastic. Anyway, check it out. But my wife is my wife's a huge fan. Oh, it's so good. But they had Reisdorf, and I had Reisdorf with a cacio e pepe. Mm. There's something about the kind of bready, slight like fruitiness sort of of the Reisdorf that went so incredibly well with the pasta that I think that's like one of those moments. Those formative, <laughs> I have all my formative experiences are food based, but it was like a formative <laughs> experience of like, okay, this is good. I like Kolsch's. I like Reisdorf a lot. It, 
like I'm drinking a rice. Larry and I are drinking a rice dwarf right now. We've moved on from the pickle beer. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's look at what you just what you just had there. So, is Cacio e Pepe a uh, a one, two, or three on the intensity scale? One being low intensity, three being high intensity. I guess I'd say one. Yeah, I guess it's I'd a low say, in, low say, low intensity. I mean, the pepper one. is there, yeah. but it's a low intensity. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah, yeah you yeah. might get it's a little creamy. from the cheese, maybe yeah. a little bite of sharp pepper here and there. But yeah, it's not a super intense dish. No. Uh, Kolsch, is it a one, two, or three on intensity? One. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's low. One or two. It's not out to ruin you. And so, uh, yeah, so already those two dishes sort of have, or, you know, the dish and the beer have some some uh, similar sort of volume. They're turned up to the same volume, right? And then when you when you think about, like, if you describe Kolsch in three words, you might say sort of bready or crackery, like a grainy thing, okay? Um, and then you might say a little bit peppery from the hops, and then you uh. might say a little, a little bit of fruit, okay? A little bit of fruit from that yeast, all right? So we've got bready and it's pasta bready or pasta kind of green. Yes. 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 Okay. Or doughy. Fine. Uh, what about peppery? Is cacio e pepe a peppery dish? Yes. yes totally is. It's in the name. So those two things are complements. <laughs> they're working together. And then the, the third thing about cacio e pepe is that it should be kind of cheesy, little gamey from, from, that, uh, from that sheep cheese. And so that um, is totally the opposite of that third thing that's hanging out in the, in the Kolsch beer. That third thing about Kolsch beer is fruity. Okay, but what about adding fruit to a cheese? Like if you got a a, a piece of uh, pecorino, uh, so it's pecorino romano typically that they put in cacio e pepe. What if you had it with a little, you know, with a dried apricot or a little bit of, uh, you know, an orange wedge or something mm. like that? You know, you can imagine having it with fruit and it being really nice. What I hear so is you're a- saying it pairs perfectly. With <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> Trust the chef. He was right to put Larry, that on the you menu. Are perceptive. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So yeah, so that's a great pairing. You know, honestly, I love it with sushi. Oh, um, sushi is uh, it's delicate enough. You know, that you get plenty of rice in there, um, and I'm really talking something like nigiri, not not sashimi. Like I want mm. some rice, but I also don't want you know tons of mayonnaise and and eel sauce and stuff like that that you might get in a in a roll. Yeah. Um, so so something like uh, nigiri just has um, you know a little bit of flavor from that rice that works with you know the same sort of mild grainy flavor that you get in or mild starchy flavor that you get in the Kolsch. Um, and then beyond that, they're like really kind of subtle fruity hints in the Kolsch that are hard to describe. Um, and they kind of work with some of the subtle flavor that very savory flavor that you get in, in really good fresh uh, fish, nice. the actual, you know, the, the sushi part. Well, I was going to real quick the rice store, if it feels like to me just in tasting it now, and maybe this is because I had a weird spiky, spicy pickle beer beforehand. But I'm really getting a almost like cidery flavor, like an apple cidery kind of. Okay. You know, when it makes sense. That, are you getting that, Larry? I don't know. I don't what's know. wrong with me? So I want to I want to put you guys on the spot and say, can you describe to me whatever fruity flavor is in this beer? Hold on, let me. I keep talking about you know uh, this this sort of ale yeast producing a little you know gentle bit of fruitiness. Can you describe that? I really think I'm getting like an apple, maybe borderline say, grape. I was going to say a little apple, a little okay. apple, like a green apple. Okay. Yeah. But when you said sushi, I'm like with the kind of that vinegary, the the rice when the rice is well done and it has a little uh-huh. bit of that tang to it. I think that yeah, it okay. feels like it matches that really well. Maybe a little this pear, is- maybe a little pear, like not not okay. not a strong pear, but just a little, <laughs> like the skin, like, pear skin. What about um, you get any lemon or lemon zest? Mm. Any white white grape? Definitely white, white grape. grape. Yeah. Definitely white grape. Yeah, the grape definitely. It is citrusy, a little slight. Mm-hmm. I kind of get the lemon, but that's always the thing of like, Rich, once you say it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, I totally agree. Oh, yeah, lemon. <laughs> but the, the white grape, one, white grape, 100%. Yeah, the grape, definitely. I think that's what I was going with, with the pear, with the green pear skin. There's something, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I usually end up getting maybe a little apple, maybe a little bit of lemon or, or you know, kind of pale colored citrus, not like orange or, or uh, grapefruit. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, maybe a little bit of a, kind of white wine or a grape note. Um, if you're getting green apple and Maddie, especially if you're getting a little sourness, a little vinegary note, both of those are signs that the beer is old and it's not in good shape. Oh, no. So this uh, beer should not be vinegary. Believe it. Oh, this I don't beer think the beer. No, no, no. I say no, no. The beer itself is not vinegary. I'm saying I think I could take that with the sushi vinegary. Oh, you know yeah, what I'm sure. Like the vinegary rice, the vinegar rice of the sushi. I am getting a little green apple though. I am oh, definitely yeah, getting so some apple though. I'm yeah, getting some apple. this could be. Who knows? It could be, who knows? It could be my local bottle shop is. Yeah, <laughs> and a little. Not the bottle I'm getting salt. green. I am getting green everything. Yeah. Like look, little, look, green apple. Cologne green is a far probably... way away from Los Angeles. Yeah. This, this, these cans have been through a lot. <laughs> well, they, they probably have. It takes a while to get to, to Los Angeles from from Cologne, Germany. So, and it's not always. Uh, it's rarely a refrigerated journey. Larry and I have just been drinking yes. ruined beer, <laughs> horrible, <laughs> spoiled. You know, 1995 expired beer. Did you enjoy it before we talked about the flavor and before you learned maybe that it's old? Oh, yeah. It was still pretty good. Yeah, it was still good. It was solid. I mean, I will say, though, it was a little fruitier than I expected. And especially like when you're going on about it, like, oh, it's not too fruity. I'm like, this one is. Yeah. (laughs) So you enjoyed it before we started talking about this. And I hope you enjoy it now because it hasn't changed. That's true. I do. Yeah. Well, again, I also like part of me in my head, I did, I had a moment earlier where I was like, I drank a spicy pickle beer a second ago. So my tongue is just in another place right now. So I kind of chalked a lot of it up to that. We got some pastas, like creamy, not too intense pasta, sushi. Sushi, That seems like an awesome choice for it. Um, I don't really know what what else did you want to eat? Rich? Uh, French fries, um, sandwiches, cold cuts, bologna sandwich. Um, Damn, I, love I, I, wish, I love that he included I a bologna wish, sandwich. Man, I guess I need to just I be the kind of guy this. that comes home, makes myself a bologna sandwich. Can I put some Miracle Whip on it? Can I put some Miracle Whip on it? Certainly can put Miracle Whip on it. Oh, that sounds so good. Roof of my mouth, getting it with my tongue, and then drinking some of this beer. I'm going to beer and a bologna sandwich. I love that you included bologna sandwich. Rich, you're the man, dude. You are the... <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, dude, you're the fucking man. Like, you talk about beer, you know, all this shit about beer, and we go, <laughs> will you pair this beer, and you go, bologna sandwich. My motherfucker, man. I'm sorry to cuss, but <laughs> God damn it, you the man. Uh, would you prefer I said a um, uh, mortadella pinino? Absolutely not. No, no, absolutely. No, I don't even want to know what that is. I, I liked bologna. Yeah, I regret talking sandwich. about the pasta restaurant. I just wish we'd gone straight to bologna. <laughs> straight to bologna. Yeah. Let's try to be helpful to people. Mortadella panino is is like the old school uh, bologna yeah. sandwich from Italy. So I figured as much. I figured as much about mortadella. <laughs> but, uh, you can also okay. see mapo tofu, sort of you know Chinese uh, noodle dishes that have uh, some pork and some onion in them. Oh, that's kind uh, of cool. Well. Pink peppercorn, uh, or not pink pe- peppercorn, sorry, uh, Szechuan peppercorn, which is in mm. Mapo Tofu, is known for being um, kind of the numbing peppercorn. Numbs mouth. But, yeah, that numb spice is one of my favorites. Yeah, but also it, it, really? uh, it smells lemony. And so I think that, that lemon aroma, when you crunch into it, um, sort of dovetails nicely with some of the, some of the kind of subtle mm. fruitiness from, from a Kolsch. And Kolsch is something you can drink a whole lot of to... Uh, sort of dilute the spiciness that's on your tongue. So ah, I, awesome. think, uh, I think I think is good for sense. spicy. It's definitely a sessionable beer. 
Definitely. Kind of on that subject, really quickly, Rich, I really, I've never been to Cologne myself, but I know how they drink Kolsch in Cologne, and it kind of sounds like the, one of the more fun ways to drink it. Point two on there? The glass. Rich is showing us his glass on the Zoom. Um, Yeah, so in Cologne, they have a very specific way of drinking when you're at a, I guess, Germany, a pub, would you call it, or at a restaurant or at a... You could, yeah, I mean, they just call it a, a, a brewery. Uh, you know, um, but the way you're drinking so rich, do you want to talk real quick about like kind of how they serve you? They serve you in a little. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. So Natty, I was trying to show you the, the point. Yeah, the two, point two. <laughs> this is point two liters. Uh, the glass I'm drinking out of it's um, six point eight ounces. I think it's um, it's really small. And so that is the serving size that you get when you go to a, a pub or you know a, a brewery. They call them house brewery, basically. So it's a brewery that has the brewery in house, but you go there to drink. So at a house brewery, excuse me, um, while they um, pour you these tiny six and a half ounce pours that's like what the hell you know that's going to take me one minute you know one minute to drink this thing and then i'm going to need to flag down a server to order my next one that's not how it how it goes once you sit down you're there to drink kolsch and if you're there to drink some other beer you're in the wrong city and if you want to drink wine i mean i guess you can drink wine you, you order that but the assumption is you're there to drink kolsch beer and so you sit down and um the the waiter uh, plops down a, um, a little cardboard coaster for you and it sets down a full glass of Kolsch. And again, it's, it's not a big glass, six and a half ounces. And then you drink it. And, uh, you know, the, the, another waiter, um, is usually sort of patrolling the, the whole floor there, the whole, uh, the whole restaurant, um, with a, uh, a tray, I should say of, um, of full Kolsch beers. And uh, they're called, it's called a wreath or a kranza. So it's like a wreath because this thing is like the circular, um, you know, it's studded in a circle with full glasses of Kolsch and they will just drop a new Kolsch right down next to your, next to your glass, even if you don't ask for it. And if you're the Kolsch you're drinking is like a third full or even a half full, they'll drop another one down next to it for you. And they'll, they'll come around with a, a pencil and make an, a mark on your coaster. And that, that's, they keep track of how many Kolsch's they've dropped for you by, uh, by counting up the, uh, the, the pencil marks on your coaster. Yeah. And so then at the so, end of the night, you put your coast. You put your you put your coaster on top of the glass to tell them you're done. Is that how you yeah. tell them you're done? And then they count up how many marks you have mm-hmm. on your coaster yeah. to figure out how much drink, beer you drank. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the coaster on top just means don't give me another. Yeah, not uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> but yeah, you actually have to ask to uh, to settle up, settle, settle the bill. But yeah, they'll just count up your um, the check marks on your coaster. So I, I've done a lot of work trips out there, and you know, I run a business, and I can you know, beer is an expense that I that I. Uh, you know, I expense my taxes. Um, it comes out as a, as a work expense. And so I have to have receipts for all this stuff if I get audited by the IRS. And so my receipts from Cologne are so <laughs> thick and, help, you know, worthless because it's these really thick coasters that just have all this like gobbledygook pencil marks on there. Hilarious. Beers. And that's the best I can do. That's you know, great. they're not going to yeah, write out. Uh, I thought, do you have a record for marks? How many of those little guys have you have you down? You know, the, the longest time I sat at one place because again, you know, these places, there, you know, there, there's a Kolsch brewery every, you know, every couple blocks basically in, in the Altstadt in the old city. Um, so it's hard to convince myself to sit down. And so you just, crawl, just you crawl place to place, right? Except I did, I did find a, a new, a new to me pub, and it wasn't a brewery. And uh, I was kind of branching out trying to find cool places to go that weren't breweries. And um, it's a it's a tide house system there. So this pub 
buys beer from Reisdorf and only Reisdorf. So you go there and you're, you're of course expected to drink Kolsch and you, you look at the sign out front and say, oh, Reisdorf, I like that. I'm going to go in here and drink that. So I sat down there and it was halftime of, of, a, um, of an FC Cologne game, the, the local soccer team. And I ordered my my first Kolsch and then the, the game started up again. And the, you know, everyone in the restaurant was just, they were glued to the TV. It was a super fun experience. Cologne ended up winning uh, so it was just like this great experience. And by the end of it, I realized that I had had 10 uh, 200 milliliter glasses in that second half. And oh, wow. I was honestly trying to keep up with this couple that was sitting sitting next to me at the bar. And I could not. They were way out drinking me. That's and right. they had been there for the full game. And I ended up having two liters of beer in, in 50 minutes. And this <laughs> beer was just, again, it was perfect, fresh, unfiltered. Oh, wow. It's fantastic. Masterized Reisdorf. Awesome. Just awesome. Have you ever had Halvahan? Is that how you say it? I have had halvan, yeah. Halvan um, is the is the what traditional is dish. Halvan, it kind of looks it looks like almost like the fire fest, the photo of the fire fest meal, <laughs> but it's basically it's rye bread, right? It's some rye bread, rye it's, bun, yeah. A it's a rye bread. bun. It's a slice of gouda, I believe, gouda cheese or cheese yeah, on yeah. top of there, and then like raw onions, like raw mm-hmm. onion rings, oh. and that's the dish. You might get some radishes or pickles or something oh, there too. Oh, <laughs> this is sounding good. To and so me. you get you're getting your you're down in your little Kolsch cups. How was it? It's there's nothing special about it. It's just it's <laughs> it's like what sounds better, uh, you know, bread and cheese or a plowman's lunch? Would you like the plowman's lunch, Larry? Um, I I kind of want bread, cheese, onions, and pickles and radishes. That sounds right. good. Or well, a bologna sandwich. Thank you for not following on that one. But but the idea is that Plumman's <laughs> lunch is is bread and cheese, basically. Say that's the the English version of of fancifying bread and cheese meal or snack. And the same thing is what they have in uh, in Cologne. It's called halbahan, which means half chicken. There's no chicken in it anywhere. It's the ultimate like tourist uh, tourist you know uh, whatever bait and switch I guess when a tourist goes there and says oh I'll have a halbahan. Um, but yeah, it's just this rye rye bun with a um, bunch of raw onions. You would not be able to, or you would not believe how many raw onions you see on every dish that's served in Cologne and Dusseldorf. I mean, because so I've seen that dish. I've seen like that's what they serve it. Do are people really eating all those raw onions? Do people eat the onions, or is it like it's yes. not like a decorative, like just a traditional, like it's just there? No, you don't like raw onions? I like raw onions, but I don't know about eating a pile of raw oh onions. Might be. Might be. Larry, imagine imagine <laughs> eating. Okay, you you order a halvahan, whether you're expecting chicken or not. What they, what comes out is a little like looks like a hamburger roll, uh, but it's a rye rye bread hamburger roll. Maybe three slices of gouda cheese, and then like a whole section of an onion. Like t- take a round onion, okay, and, and cut it into rings, okay, and they're probably maybe three eighths of an inch thick, maybe maybe quarter inch thick, and it's just like the whole plank of that onion like all the rings are still intact sometimes i love would onions i do i you don't understand i love onions <laughs> wow man i love 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 onions i'm just well, saying i would have some i'd have a bite i don't know if i could oh I down I half an onion this, just sound, this sounds onion. really I great like to me in How the about this? Of and drinking some good beer too good lord well yeah the beers so there's else. something there's another uh, another favorite okay. dish there they call met mitz mitzvibeln which met is meat but it's raw meat so it's like uh uh you know burger Ground Ooh. burger meat, basically. Mitt is with, and svibum is onions. So it's raw ground beef with onions. And what they do is they give you half a half a roll, um, the bottom half of a roll, smear a, probably like a quarter pound of just raw 
uh, maybe lightly seasoned with salt, um, ground beef, and then they have a whole bunch of uh, minced onions in a, in a bowl or plate uh, back in the kitchen, and they take the thing and turn it upside down and mush it into the onions so that they glue themselves in a layer <laughs> to, the, to the meat and then flip oh, it man. back over, put it on a plate, and serve it to you. And people pound these things. It's <laughs> hard. And it's a you know, from young to old, it's just, it's amazing. Mm. I don't know how they do it. I'd go for it. That one I might go for. Um, that sounds delicious. Um, we'll, we'll talk about like alt beers and that stuff another time, which Rich, you, I hope so. sounds like you love an alt beer. Mm-hmm. But just to wrap up the Kolsch's, because people always want to know what, where can they get a Kolsch? What's a good Kolsch? What are the Kolsch's to seek out? Either OG breweries or if you do know any in the U.S. No? Uh, I I really like going to Cologne. And so you're saying it. go to Cologne is what you're saying. <laughs> you say For those wondering if they want to taste it, you have to go to Cologne. Okay, you know, no, that's fair. Uh, is that it? No, that doesn't look like Halvahan. I've seen Larry's bringing up a photo that looks way too prepared for Halvahan. The the picture of Halvahan literally looked like someone threw a roll. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's just literally a roll on a plate. There's a cheese on I a plate. The, There's a pile the, of onions. I would eat the hell out of it all looks of those like, onions. It looks like an unprepared meal. This is a looks Halvahan. It looks like it's, a, it's not prepared yet, but also I'm sure it's great. This, is, this looks like something I make in the middle of the night. <laughs> I wake up. We haven't done groceries. I'm like, You're doing Halvahans. I'm cutting this onion up. I'm throwing Rachel's this roll in wake up and, you're and like a slice of cheese. You're making in the kitchen. Oh, wow. So, Rich, then, yeah, so you don't have any particular recommendations. Like, Reisdorf is available fruit mm-hmm. is available a lot of these are I, you know i'm i'm t- uh tarnished tarnished is that what i'm spoiled you know i've had i've had the, the stuff at its best in okay. cologne and i just i just think there's so many other really good beers out there that are kind of similar to kolsch so i would rather drink those than a than a not fresh kolsch god i sound like just an asshole here i'm sorry i love it um i love know, hot take rich you got, you got maddie over and us drinking <laughs> I'm loving this yeah, I apple like cider it beer. <laughs> an apple and great time and green pear. Yeah. And let me also say that there, with 8,500 breweries in the United States, uh, there are a lot, I'm sure, that are brewing some delicious Kolsch. Mm-hmm. I uh, unfortunately have not had much or any yet, but <laughs> I think a reason for that is a lot of American brewers consider it just a seasonal beer, so it's not going to sell all year long. Um, and you know, maybe I just haven't been to the right breweries in the three month long summer when it's, when it's good. Actually, you know, I take it back. I remembered a good one. Uh, Drake's blonde ale from, um, oh. from, uh, where it's San Leandro outside of San Francisco. So Drake's blonde is delicious. I don't know if they still brew it, but back in the day it was a great culture. So, um, yeah, I wish I had. <laughs> no, that's all right. If it's a regional beer, it's a region. Yeah. It's very regional. It's very geographic. Right. More, I mean, more of a reason to do one of Rich's beer immersions. There you go, Rich Higgins. Right. One of the things American brewers are trying to brew what they, you know, they, they, they taste something and, and try to brew it again. So a lot of brewers are like, oh, well, Kolsch is a popular beer, so they go out and find, uh, you know, whatever Kolsch they can find in the market, and they end up finding a, a rice store for a fruit that is just not very fresh, and so they mimic mm-hmm. that beer. It's like a game of telephone. You know, they're not they're not doing a, gotcha. a copy of a really good fresh one. Um, yeah. So it, it's yeah. It's a game of telephone. So God, yeah. I sound like a jerk. I sound like a jerk. Wow. Wow. He said it, not me. Well, you guys heard it. He said it. Rich not said me. it, not us. Um, <laughs> on that note, on the note of you can't have it. Uh, that does it for Kolsch. Uh, really great, you guys. Nice time being back. I will say, I've been, I enjoy the Kolsch's I've had, and I've never been to Cologne, so I'm very excited to one day 
be on richhiggins.com's beer immersions tour <laughs> and have the real thing. This is just plug fest. Here. About- Keep an eye out for our next taster episode. We're going to be tasting a West Mollet double. Um, which the Phoenix New Times called as close to perfect as a beer can be. The Phoenix New Times? The Phoenix New well, Times. Well, I mean, if the, they, if the they say authority it. If they on say beer. it. If they the say Phoenix it, I'm all New Times. Um, if you've got any questions for Rich, email us at liquidbreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. We really appreciate any support. And feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Both are at liquidbreadpod. Um, Rich, do you have anything else to cap off our talk? Uh, no, just keep drinking uh, good fresh beer wherever you can. Drink it. Go to Clone. Larry? Uh, you know, talented Mr. Bates on Instagram. And uh, I'll pop up in the season premiere of Animal Kingdom. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. When is that? When is that? Is that out? I don't know the dates, man. I shoot the thing. Animal I, Kingdom. I know the episode. Watch it's Animal coming Kingdom. up soon, I think. Maddie? That's good. Um, <laughs> I'll just watch uh, Teen Titans Go on uh, Cartoon Network. I don't know. Reisdorf isn't that bad. Go try it out. It's a great beer. I'm not great mad beer. at it. I'm not mad at it. I mean, uh, Rich, Rich kind of took me down a notch. I will say, yeah, I know. I feel like a dummy. Uh, <laughs> I I will say this uh, Prairie Artisan Ale Spicy Pickle Monster beer. If you see that, pick it up. It's pretty it good. It wasn't bad. But, uh, I, I mean, if you like sours. No, if you like sours, it was, no, pretty, like happy. Sours, it yeah, was, was pretty, pretty good. I was happy with this pickle. I agree. And there was a little bit of a spice in my, in the back yeah. of my mouth. Not spicy. It wasn't spicy. It could be spicy. There's something going on there. There's. It definitely was like a sour with the nice hint of pickle yeah all right well thanks so much for listening everybody until next time i haven't thought of anything better so happy beering happy Happy beer season two season two season two